Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and I would like to take this opportunity to ask the Lord to bless each of you, my congregation here in Dallas, and our extended Saints Network family. Uh, may God bless you uh, in this Christmas season, and may the, the magnitude and the wonder of Christ's coming be tremendously shown upon and within you. There are so many facets of, of how God wants us to commune with him that are found in the Christmas story. And I know that many debate as to whether Jesus was actually born during this time. But the point was, for all of us, that he was born. He came. And um, that's something to celebrate. If we choose to do it right now, great. So let's celebrate him. I do want to make just a couple of uh, announcements for our folks here in Dallas. We will be having a Christmas Eve candlelight gathering here in the sanctuary at 5.30 on Saturday evening. And um, it's supposed to get really cold here uh, on Friday and Saturday, but we, um, we will have the sanctuary warm and we invite you to come and spend this really precious moment with uh, those of the church family who can come and, and be together at that time. On Sunday morning, Christmas Day, again, there will be no broadcast of the Wisdom Seekers class. And uh, there will be one service that morning at 11 o'clock Dallas time. I am hoping to be done by noon. So as you can tell, it's going to be a brief uh, time together. But Christmas Day is something that I know involves so many folks in so many different ways. I know that many will not be with us in person on that day. But um, just know that that's our intent. So, um, and I, I'm pretty sure that we're gonna we're gonna stick to that <laughs> eleven, and hope uh, we'll we'll try as much as we can to be done by noon. So, um, today I wanted to revisit the book of Matthew and to talk about the time that the angel appeared to Joseph, we shared a rather extravagant teaching covering multiple facets of this, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah concerning Emmanuel, what that means, the progression of the, the mystery Babylon, 
um, hope, hoping to uh, develop that more in the, in the weeks and months to come. It's pertinent for where we're living right now. And um, I, 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 just, I just feel that this is a, a salient word for us at this moment. But I was thinking about the gospel message in all four of these gospels and the fact that only Matthew and Luke provide details concerning the birth of Jesus. Mark just, he just picks up running and he he starts basically with John the Baptist. And um, John, of course, speaks as only John would from a very revelatory capacity where he's talking about the entrance of the word and light and darkness, the battle that ensues there. And I, I think that most most churches skip ahead to John 3.16. That's a, that's a bell ringer right there. But to try to speak about light and darkness and you know, really digging into what John said is it's, it's kind of spooky for them. It shouldn't be, but it kind of is. When you notice that Matthew, who had been a tax collector, some might call him a bean counter. I think that to be that, um, with, with, to be good at that in his days, really was, was not just a matter of, of being a success. It was a matter of, you took your life into your own hands because you're collecting taxes for a... Uh, an empire. Um, they, they, they knew how to deal with anybody who was not efficient or was cutting deals on the side. And so Matthew had to have been good at what he did. And I, I think that when you read through his account, people say, well, this is for the Jews. And that's an easy that's that's an easy thing. But who was he as a man? I mean, his profession as a tax collector didn't put him in much favor with the Jews. Let's face it, that's no racial slight. I mean, he he was representing the the Roman government, and he was also taking their money, and whether they owed it or not. So you could say this was for the Jews, but I just have to say that he wasn't really that popular. Um, and it'd be like saying, you know, this IRS prosecutor is giving a message for the Americans. Well, <laughs> this you, you multiply that by 10, and that's probably what Matthew represented. But the point was for him as a person and for anyone like more more akin to his makeup he he has a tendency to to 
cut to the very heart of the issue to give give rationalization and to make explanation for why things happen. And, you know, as I said on Sunday, the very beginning of the New Testament is not touchy-feely. And there's the, I don't even know what the Fire Bible or any of the other Passion Bibles do with the genealogy. Maybe they spray uh, perfume on it. Maybe there's some, uh, some way that you can spice it up and turn it into a Hollywood version of uh, the Hallmark uh, movie script. I don't think there's much you can do with this. But, but Matthew says something very interesting in chapter 1, verse 17. Um, All the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David unto the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. From the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And that's all he says. Now, you can search far and wide. I know there are Christian numerologists. I don't really, I don't get into that. Uh, we, we, do, we do recognize principles in the scripture. And we recognize uh, numbers that represent those principles. And we've talked about that, whether it's two or one or three or four or five, seven, eight, ten, twelve. And you can fill in the gaps in between. Um, And we, we can see the repetitive nature of those principles. And so anytime you see that number brought forth, you know, okay, this is what this means. And even the 70, you know, we did a study on that earlier this year about how that was a, uh, a designation for the eye. And anybody, whether it was Moses or Jesus, who appointed the 70, that was people who were gatekeepers. That's another way this was used. And it was an individual who was perceptive in the natural, but also in the spiritual. So we understand those from a numerical, biblical, biblical principle standpoint. But so many times in some offshoot Christian numerology things, it's almost like fortune telling. And it kind of makes you uncomfortable. But... I looked and and really tried to find what 14 represented. If you were to look online, some of you are already doing it. You've lost my my dialogue. They'll say that's the number of the angelic. You know, the closest you can come to trying to make a, a rational view of this is that it's seven times two, which is the ways of God, and then uh, doubled down on in the mouth of two witnesses that the ways of God were not only done but they were established. So you have you have uh, Abraham to David. That's interesting. A lot of ha- a lot of stuff happened there. You have David until Babylon. A lot of stuff happened there. And then you have the dark period of uh, Babylon 
to Christ. Uh, you know, you can look at those three, you know, so you have three sections. Uh, promise, sila, fulfillment. Whatever 14 represents. So you have the promise coming from Abraham to David. That That's pretty well seen. I mean, you you have you have uh, Abraham, you have Moses, you have David um, and uh, his uh, his desire to bring the kingdom together. That's that's good purpose. That's good. The tabernacle of David is what we should be as a Gentile church uh, personifying here. And then you have from Solomon, basically, to the Babylonian fall, that seal of period, you can see how the enemy corrupted. And you can clearly see how the enemy infiltrated. And it was, it was, a, it was a loss for the earthly kingdom, um, resulting then in the carrying away to Babylon or mystery Babylon. And then you have the coming back from um, Zerubbabel all the way through um, the Zechariah and um, and Nehemiah, and the, but then you see the the dark times to Christ. That ultimate fulfillment is the Lord, and um, so perhaps there's something in that. But Matthew finishes. The first part of this uh, first chapter in this way. So how does he talk about Christ? Well, he, he speaks about um, <laughs> he speaks about Mary found with child of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't elaborate at all about Zacharias and Elizabeth and Gabriel's encounter or you know, Gabriel coming to Jesus, to to Mary, or you know them going to Bethlehem, finding no room in the inn. He doesn't talk about any of that. That's Luke. That's Luke. Mark and John don't talk about it either. It doesn't make it any less true. But Matthew is just cutting to it. So the next thing that he wants to establish is how in the world under the law. And under the codes of marriage in that day, and under the code of, of uh, what a, what a Jewish man would have to process. Matthew goes straight for that, and he talks about Joseph. No Ave Maria, no Blessed Virgin, no uh, Magnificat. You know, you don't you don't see any of that. Not to shortchange it. But Matthew goes right to what the head of the household would be dealing with. And he speaks then about an angel coming to Joseph in the night. And that's the first of other angelic visitations that directed Joseph. That's very important. We've taught on that in the past, specifically addressing purpose in the night. And um, Joseph aligned with that and found a justification in following 
this miraculous interruption of his natural life. Which really wasn't an interruption in God's view. That's the funny thing. Even for what happened to all of you, what happened to me, what happened to our church here in Dallas and perhaps in your churches, what we were aiming for in the service of God. God interrupted. But did he really interrupt us? Was that his purpose for us all along? Of course it was. We could have elected not to choose that pathway, but the calling was an eternal one, and I, I'm grateful for it. And we did see the angelic very clearly addressing our purpose in those early days. And they, and they, they still do at the behest of our Heavenly Father. But here you have Matthew speaking to that issue. And he references in a edit, prophetically editorial way um, the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, sometimes we think that the angel said that. But you can see there in, in chapter 1, verse uh, 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying. All this was done. That's an editorial. Under the anointing of the Spirit. And I would absolutely imagine that um, Matthew had discussions with Jesus about all of these things. Who, who do you think he got his information from? Now, we know that um, Luke, he, he uh, interviewed Mary. He interviewed many eyewitnesses. That's how he got his information. Matthew got his information from walking with the Lord. And, yeah, Mary was there. Um, probably... There were Jesus' siblings around. But he, he, he either got this info from Mary or from Jesus. And, you know, we've also talked about how that this prophecy of Isaiah was such an expression from God, but then hundreds of years passed before this was fulfilled. You know, some some of us, I say us so I don't offend anyone, we think that um, that if it's it's a year that God's dragging his feet from the time we get a prophecy to where it's fulfilled. Twenty six years since we started on this pathway of ministry of as saints Boy, it's a long time. We're getting old. Yeah, we are getting older. We are. But it's in God's timing. I don't feel older. So, you know, <laughs> um, my granddaughter Megan was taking pictures at our Christmas celebration this past Sunday at the behest of Imani Harris. And uh, 
I saw a picture of me and Scott Maston. It's a good picture. It's a good picture. But I, when I first looked at it, I thought, gosh, look at those gray hairs on those guys. And uh, so, yeah, we are getting older, but we're in God's time. And, um, you know, it's, it's really weird to, to be hearing, I guess any, any generation can say this, of this, uh, this person passing away or that person passing away, somebody that was uh, a pop star during our teenage years or, um, you know, to this morning for any football fans, Franco Harris, uh, fullback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the immaculate reception uh, hero, he passed away in his sleep. It, you just think, wow, you know, time is going. Uh, it doesn't make me afraid. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, and I feel like Caleb. I'm not quite 80 yet, and I, I still feel like I'm in my late teens and early 20s. I'm grateful for that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it has been a while since God began to make promises, but he's fulfilling them. And he will fulfill them. And I think that that is very important for, for Matthew to say because he, he was a, a very linear thinking individual as a tax collector. He was very precise. Do you ever know somebody that's like that? Maybe somebody listening to me is. You know, I, I look at things and I try to, I don't get bogged down into details even though I log them in my head I I approximate at times like I'll say you know recently we the church was engaged in a, a property sale just an extraneous property property hundreds of miles away from here we didn't need it and I said well it was roughly this amount and but others needed to know the exact amount what is that and I thought Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to generalize. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to specify specifics. Specify specifics. That's a double entendre. Matthew was very precise. So for him to call out these generations and then call these three epics, these three um, genres of the development of the people of God leading to Christ. And then to go right for the heart of things about Matthew, and then um, to to talk about uh, the, the fulfillment of a prophecy. Boy, for somebody that's linear, to hang on, to to really be able to say, okay, this closes the book. Here, here it is. Let's let's notarize it. Uh, that prophecy was outstanding. Now it's fulfilled. That's important. And, you know, the thing that does surprise me is that he talks then about the, uh, the wise men coming. At, you know, he doesn't give a time frame, but time had passed because Jesus was not a baby in the manger, regardless of what the nativity scenes say when the, when the wise men came. Um, he was in a house and he was a toddler, according to the scripture. And the thing that surprises me about Matthew 
was that he speaks about uh, them bringing their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I'm sure that everything within him was processing. What kind of, what was the total um, in Roman coin of those gifts? What was the value? What's the taxable, uh, what's the taxable penalty on that gift? You know he had to be thinking that. You just, you, you just do. And, but that he didn't mention that there. It's kind of showed good restraint on behalf of Matthew. You know, so you talk to some people and you, you start talking money or whatever, and you can see the gears like Robbie the robot moving in their in their in their cranium, and you think they're processing something. They as soon as they heard what I said, they're not hearing anything else. Now they're processing. And Matthew had as a tax collector, he had to be thinking that. So kudos to him for not mentioning what this value was and whether they actually reported this as a gift to the uh, to the tax collector now the thing is that they skedaddled out of town because when uh, uh, God warned them immediately after the reception of those gifts and we talked about what they were and what they you know how they were used in the time in Egypt so they, they got out of town before there was any other tax due on it, which is probably good, which is maybe, I don't know why Matthew didn't say that too, because he probably was thinking that. Well, you know, that's, a, you know, I figured I total up what that probably was worth. They probably owed this much, but it wasn't germane to their life because they then vamoosed and went into Egypt. They escaped the tax man. It's just very interesting. Uh, but Matthew takes this approach, and I think that's important. Now, to me, Matthew is that type of an individual. Mark was more of a, uh, a young man, obviously. Uh, he, he spoke about events, you know, to borrow a, a, a trite phrase. He cut to the chase. What's going on? And, you know... Biblical historians will say that Mark's was the first of the Gospels written, and maybe it was somewhat plagiarized by filled in the gaps of some of the other Gospel accounts. I don't really know why Matthew or John would have to fill in any gaps. Dottie, they lived it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why they were there. And Luke. He was doing his own research. But be that as it is, uh, that's what you'll find in your biblical studies. Now Luke, of course, he came and, you know, as a physician, he was intelligent. He was a student. He took time with the people that he interviewed. He talked to them, he listened and learned, and, um, you know, there are, there are those kinds of people as well that really, 
they, they, they emote. They, did you know somebody like that? I think Luke was that way. He was the good old family doctor. Now, there's some people in my church, and I appreciate this, who just love to talk and to, to discuss. They, you give them, you give them a minute, you've given them an hour, and that's fine. You know, pastors have to embrace that, but you know, I I remember being with. Um, Pastor Noah from Oak Cliff, and then God gave me an opportunity to spend a significant amount of time with Dr. Criswell from First Baptist in Dallas. He spoke a great deal into my life and into our church. He, many don't know this, but um, you know he lived over on Swiss Avenue. He built that monster of a church in Dallas. You hear about Robert Jeffress now, but he stood on the He's standing on the shoulders of W.A. Criswell. You've got Criswell College down there. Anyway, uh, when he when he re retired, before he retired, um, a friend here in the church arranged a meeting with me and Dr. Criswell um, when I became pastor. And he gave me some really wise counsel. He was so loving how to follow a, uh, a storied pastor. Because Criswell did as well, and um, but I remember then that he he came here and he spoke for us at a men's breakfast. He he officially joined our church by his request, which I think was very interesting. And um, you know I remember going to his house and taking him. You know I remember we took him. Uh, he liked a particular kind of cake, and we took him that cake and went in and just talked to him. He was a good guy, but during his church services, he had the ability with his white suit on to greet people, make them feel like they have had an encounter of the ages and move past those folks within 15 seconds. It was amazing to watch. I remember walking across the campus of First Baptist with him and he did that about 10 times. And I thought, man, I need to learn this. And I've tried to. It's not, it's not being, um, it's not being dismissive of people, but you've got to show love, but you, you can't let people dominate your time. And um, especially when you have a larger, larger con congregation. So, but I appreciated that in, in my early days as a pastor here to have Brother Noah, who would come over and speak to our senior adults, I had him preach here a number of times, and Dr. Criswell, both of them uh, were, were really very uh, gifts from God to our congregation because two great men, one from the Assemblies of God, one from the Baptists, just really were stalwart points of strength for me as a young, very young pastor in this congregation and for them to come in and say good things and to shine a light of approval really helped me uh, in the mindset of our of our older congregants and then you know at that time we were uh, we were recording um, 
doing some recordings and we'd have guest speakers in and they were well-known people. Um, being around them really helped to secure um, what God was doing as well. So here's Matthew talking about these, these magi and um, them coming in, not just for their gifts, not for the gifts they gave, but them being an influence. Um, that had to have been encouraging to both Joseph and Mary. And um, that, that had to have been, we don't know what all they said. Matthew just talks about the fact that they followed a star, they came, they proclaimed uh, the, the words about a, a savior. Uh, they, they brought financial gifts that represented things regarding Jesus' life. But the very fact that they were there spoke from the world and attesting to the significance of this child, Jesus. So Matthew talks about all these types of things, and um, I, I, I just think that we should not fail to recognize how important this is. And of course, John, who wrote the fourth gospel, son of thunder, one who had his head on the chest of Jesus, one who loved the Lord uh, in, a, in a very expressive way. Um, that viewpoint also was really a pneumatikos kind of a viewpoint because he talks about the things from the heavens when he writes. And then, of course, the revelation, the apocalypsis of John I mean, that's, that's otherworldly. That's a, an Ezekiel book <laughs> of the New Testament. And um, so you have those four perspectives. Two disciples who really speak into the life of Jesus from different perspectives different personality types. And then you have Mark, who was a young man, and um, he, he wrote from more of an experiential view. And that's important. That's important. Luke comes in. He, uh, he does a, a very detailed, very emotive, an experiential yet intellectual account. So grateful for this. But back to Matthew. He talks about Joseph surrendering who he was as a man and who he was in the eyes of the community and his own family and in throughout the Judaistic world submitting himself to the will and plan of God, and he, he talks about the fulfillment of this Emmanuel prophecy. 
And it, it was the virgin conceiving and bringing forth a son. But here is Emmanuel, that you would know Elohim, that you would know the heart of God, to have that with you and to be with that. That is so important. Luke doesn't talk about Emmanuel, but he talks about Jesus, which is wonderful. That's the name above every name. But what this made uh, available to us is Emmanuel. Whether you choose that deeper walk with the heart of God or not. And that um, that was important for, for Matthew. And perhaps that gives us a bit of an insight into what God did in his heart. Because, again, as a tax collector, as somebody who dealt in hard data, as somebody who didn't care what people thought, this is what you owe, this is what you pay. If you don't, it's, it's consequences. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody that is a, a thinker, somebody that is a, a legalist, that was Matthew. And for him to say, Emmanuel, wow, that speaks about a submission. Uh, it speaks about a willingness to die to self and to bypass that cranial Christianity to welcome the miraculous, the potential of life being turned upside down, and the embracing of the heart of God. For Matthew to say that, I could see it if John would have said something like that. But Matthew? You know, there's some verses that we love all of the word of God, so hear me what, what I'm saying. There are some verses that are hard to quote. Because you have to really die to self to do what God is saying. And you know what I mean. I mean, there are, there are things that, that I know myself as a person. I love the Word of God. But there are things that, are, that, that I see that the Scripture says that I have to say, Okay, Lord, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll do it your way. But it means I have to die to self. Matthew, being the only one in the New Testament who speaks of this promise, that spoke to him as a person. Because when you talk about Emmanuel, it wasn't Emmanuel-Yah. Matthew could have gotten, gotten on board with that, even though the Jews wouldn't have said the name. They had the Tetragrammaton, the four letters. That sounds like something out of Army of Darkness. Go and retrieve the Tetragrammaton! Matthew could have gotten on board with that. 
plan. Let's stick to the plan. You know, we have a budget. Let's do it. Come on. Stick to it. Stick to it. Stick to it. You owe this, you pay this. All right. What is your projection? He could have gotten into that. But Emmanuel? What is this heart of God business? What is this Elohim business? You know, I, we, we love that as a name, but to really submit my IQ and my penchant for detail to the nebulousness of what an angel would say in the night and to, to make sure that I am with this emotive heart of God relationship rather than legal There's a lot to this. There's a lot to us. And in following this. So I'm grateful on this Christmas Wednesday Night Live to be able to look at this telling of the birth of Jesus from the story of Matthew. Uh, I, I, I think that's, uh, that's an amazing, <laughs> that's an amazing thing. Um, I, 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 I pray that it will help all of us in this new year. But, but in the midst of that, Matthew didn't jettison who, who he was. But, you know, the thing that, that always I, I think about, I think about these things. Maybe you don't. But why was Judas entrusted to carry the bag of money and not Matthew? Probably because Judas was this, the one who had the Iscariot. Judas had the knife. Nobody was messing with him. He was the hitman. Hitman, hitman. Uh, he, he was that. And you, you want somebody that's not a pushover. And a lot of those other guys, you know, they were always, some of them were quibbling about how much something cost. You know, why is this woman spending this? You could have done this instead. You always have that. Where Matthew was in that discussion, he may have been a part of it. But I think that when he was a tax collector, he had Roman soldiers behind him to be the, the heavies. But in this batch, who were the tough guys? Peter? and the Sons of Thunder and Judas. So out of all of them, Judas was the one who carried the bag. But Matthew was still thinking. And um, so that he brings all this ethereal divine into this story, speaks truth, which we needed to know, thankful for it, but also from his perspective, these are things that he had to bow down to. He had to submit his identity, just as Joseph did. He had to abandon that. He had to follow things of the kingdom. He had to recognize prophecy. He had to recognize the angelic. All these from a linear tax collector who was precise enough to begin his book by recounting 
genealogy. And then to do the tabulation of 14, 14, 14. <laughs> you see how significant this was? And then he talks about the Magi coming. That was important. That part of the story was important to him because it was a validating. The gifts, what well, was important to him? How are these people going to go? You're going to take a long trip with the, the very baby, a son of God and a woman, just the three of you? How are you going to survive? How are you going to eat on the way? And what he probably didn't say, you don't have any guards over you for this long journey with that stipend of funds he had to be thinking that when they took the deposit for the day of what he collected in taxes that was under Roman guard here you have these three one of them a newborn making the perilous journey in ancient times to Egypt that was important to Matthew and it was miraculous to him so Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you for being willing to walk this pathway. And may God bless you during this time. May he shine his light upon all of us in this new year. And may we be faithful servants of our miraculous Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we be Christ-like, truly Christian. May we be heirs and joint heirs with him. Meaning that we live in the same type of devotion as Christ did. This is our story. God bless you all. And uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs>